I have a real love-hate relationship with freelancing because the money has been historically very good. But for every project that is truly wonderful is another where I'm doing things that I, I don't enjoy. Time management and administrative type of work. And the, the truth is I feel like I'm getting a lot of those same benefits that I used to get from freelancing, but from something that's a little bit more reliable. Hello and welcome to episode 56 of Webflail. I'm your host, Jack, your failure connoisseur, and today my guest is Josh Jacobs. Currently, Josh is working as a senior designer at Jasper, but moonlights as a webflower on freelance projects. Josh has had over six years designing and developing web stuff, and he's a diehard Webflow fanboy. In fact, he's actually spoken at Webflow Conference in 2021 and 2022. Josh's career has not been linear, though. And for anyone that has done as much as Josh has, there has been some serious ups and downs. The failures that we'll talk about today are not shifting his business alongside his life changes, briefly pivoting away from Webflow design, and not learning from his past mistakes. So, embrace and learn from failure in episode 56 of Webflail with Josh Jacobs. Josh, welcome to Webflow. Hey Jack, thank you so much for having me. I want to just say off the bat, everyone says it, but you are the king of intros. Just killing them. Oh, that's very sweet of you. I'm glad that I got everything right in this one. But I want to kick this off by saying, I had a look at your portfolio. And there's a lot of people with cool portfolios. But I think I've watched some interviews with you and stuff, and your portfolio is so you, it's unreal. Thank you very much. It's really, really powerful. How did you learn to kind of put your whole self into how you portray yourself visually? Because I think that's a really hard thing to do. It's tough, and it comes with time and experience. This is the third iteration of my portfolio built in Webflow, and the first one was very generic. I just wanted to have something on the web. And then after a while, I thought to myself, well, I can, I can make a portfolio which is cooler than this. So the second iteration had some like wild effects and was very like, this is a designer's portfolio, a black background, <laughs> white text, some like, you know, RGB effects. And after a while, I was like, okay, this is cool, but I'm not, I'm not that cool, man. I'm not that cool. And, and so... <laughs> In the meantime, my freelancing career had picked up, my Webflow career had picked up, and I've worked with a lot of people who had a design eye, and one of uh, the clients that I had been working with at the time, he did the design for his own website, which I built for him, and it was just, it just reeked of personality, and I loved it so much, it was colorful, it had a lot of imagery of himself, and that really stuck with me. Uh, I want my website to convey who I am, so that the people who work with me know what they're going to deal with, right? Like who they're getting into business with. I'm a family guy. I love my pets. And I want you all to know that, right? You're not hiring me for my past work. You're hiring me to, to join the team. You're hiring me to, to be a part of your goings on. So that was really important for me to convey in this iteration. So I don't plan on changing anytime soon. That's really cool. You can tell how much you are fully bringing yourself to your work. I think sometimes people are like, I studied at here and I'm really, really good at JS and I know React and stuff. But you're like talking about your dogs, your, sorry, 
three cats and one crazy dog, I should say. Yes. And, you know, really showing pictures of you. There's there's a kind of gif of you dancing and stuff. So if anyone is trying to design their portfolio, I really think a bit of advice just early on in the podcast that I've taken away from, from looking at your portfolio is like putting your whole weird self into it. If I may say that about you, Josh. Please. That's a very <laughs> accurate description. And it's something I try and do for my clients and for or my work as well is like, okay, yeah, these are your features. These are, you know, this is the message you're trying to get across. But like, what is your company like? What is your, you know, if you're, if it's a portfolio, like, what are you like to work with? I see so many portfolios where it's like text, 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 image, image, image. But I don't know. I don't know who this person is or, or what their, their deal is. And that can be challenging. Yeah, and it makes it so much easier to work with someone that you can have a laugh with and you kind of know what their silly sense of humor is. And and ultimately, everyone's weird. Some people just choose to show it. And, and depending on how comfortable they are, I think sometimes people bring their weirdness to the forefront. Sometimes people don't, but everyone's weird. So you might as well put it out there, is, is kind of my opinion. And when I saw your portfolio, I was like, this guy not only knows himself, but is willing to show himself really authentically, which I can only imagine attracts the kind of people that really want to work with you and really turns off the people that you might not align with properly. Which brings me on to my follow-up question. You talked just then about attracting the right people to work with or showing your teammates the kind of person you are, which I think is interesting because you are now working at Jasper as a senior designer can you tell us a little bit about your role at jasper and maybe what you're working on a little bit absolutely yeah for sure so i joined the team at jasper in june of this year after being reduced in force from my role at mural and my role at jasper is that of the the web maintainer creator developer designer primarily I work on the website, which is, of course, built in Webflow. And I was hired to do a number of things. First of all, the any software company that scales as fast as Jasper has will incur technical debt. And this site has been rife with that. So cleaning it up, making it organized, but also bringing in a stylistic touch across the entire website, making it cohesive. That was one of the big remits that I was hired to do, as well as create new pages in support of campaigns, new features, or in the case of an upcoming update to sort of our positioning, perhaps a, a new homepage and supporting pages of that nature. It sounds like you're a kind of Swiss army knife for Jasper, both in design and dev. They're like, here's a load of problems, Josh. We need you to come in and just get get whatever tool you've got in your armory out and go at it. Is that fair? Yeah. On any given day, I could be working in Figma, slicing assets. I could be in Webflow, creating new pages. I could be working with our engineers to figure out what's going wrong with our Google Tag Manager, you know. Um, yeah, it's, sort, it's certainly um, a jack-of-all-trades 
master of some, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I don't think that's fair. If if you were about to finish that phrase, you know, Jack of all trades, master of none, I don't think that's fair. I mean, you know, you've got a hell of a lot of, of skill set. And for anyone that doesn't know about Jasper, in your own words, can you describe a little bit about what Jasper is? Absolutely, yeah. Jasper is an AI tool primarily focused on creating content. Specifically, the things that Jasper does really well is that we are primarily focused on creating content for marketing organizations and empowering individuals that create marketing, or really anyone for that matter, to create content quickly, but also to create content which is performant and is cohesive with your brand, right? So you can upload documents into Jasper. Jasper will learn from those documents and learn from your tone of voice to create a style guide, which is effectively what your brand sounds like and what it writes like. And Jasper will output content in that tone of voice or in whichever tone of voice you would like. It's super easy for anyone to write something and put it on a blog post or on a website. It's like the Wild West. Right. And Jasper Jasper helps to rein that in, but also helps it to be focused on performance and help to write better content. So that's that's the short that's the short answer. It's an insanely powerful tool. And I, I part of the reason why I wanted to get you on the podcast because I was like, This tool is insane. But then I was like, hold on. Josh, build the website and Webflow. And then there's a lot of like Webflow orientated positioning with Jasper because there's the new Jasper app in the app marketplace, which is how I came across it. And I was like, hot diggity damn, we got we to gotta talk about this. So for anyone that's interested in looking up Jasper AI, go check it out. I'm talking about it loads. It's really cool. I'm not being paid to say this, but it's insane. Okay. With that all being said, you've been, you were a Webflower, but then you got full-time employed with with Jasper. And I'm kind of intrigued because a lot of people in the Webflow space are like, I want to be an independent freelancer. I don't want to work for anyone. That's why I want to do Webflow. You said to me before we started recording how you've got inbound work. You know, you, you could potentially do freelance with with client work, but then you were like, I'm going to take on this this job role. Can you just tell us why you decided to take on a full-time job when potentially you could have carried on doing some freelance work? Yeah, that's a great question, Jack. So for a little bit of context, I have been doing full-time work for large organizations for a number of years. And there's quite a bit about that kind of work, which works better for me. I enjoy the structure of a nine-to-five. I enjoy not having to track my time and do a lot of that admin stuff that does typically come with freelancing. I also enjoy the benefits that are that come with the territory of a full-time employment, right? With Jasper, I have paid time off. With Jasper, I have paid benefits. And it's a little bit more flexible with regards to my working hours. And freelancing, which, as you mentioned, is something that I also do, more so as a side hustle as the kids say but it, it you're not that old josh no <laughs> older every day jack freelancing is almost the opposite of a number of ways right there's a lot of time management and a lot of administrative type of work that consumes a lot of time and 
as my career has evolved, I'm starting to make more money from my primary profession. And really the reason I started freelancing was to make money, but also as a creative outlet. And so I'm, I'm doing that creative stuff at Jasper. I'm making more money. And so the administrative and time management pieces of freelancing that I just am not in love with are sort of the reasons why I'm starting to slow down my freelancing work. I still work with my repeat clients and I still do take on some new jobs if they are exciting or if the pay is really good. That's really why I have chosen to do the work that I do for a larger company because it is creative, it is exciting, and I do feel like I'm getting a lot of those same benefits that I used to get from freelancing, but from something that's a little bit more reliable. Yeah, I think there's this idea when you start out freelancing that you want to be your own boss, you're going to only work on the projects that you enjoy, and you're going to earn way more money and stuff. And I think um, in reality, there's a lot of stuff about freelancing that, that people don't necessarily talk about and, and don't necessarily realize until until they're kind of in the trenches of it a little bit, like contracting and chasing up on invoices and then all the emails and meetings. And like you're kind of this one-stop shop for a whole a whole project, which, which can be quite overwhelming. And, and freelancing doesn't suit everyone. So I think it's commendable that you know yourself enough to be like, you know what, a full-time job may sound less sexy than freelancing and actually it might not suit you depending on where you are in life and and you've got a family you know that's another thing that's a very real thing that you've got to consider stability of income etc so it's true you know jack i have a i have a a real love i wouldn't say love hate but it's a, it's a love challenge relationship with with freelancing because it has introduced me to a, a lot of great people and the money has been historically very good. And that has helped me to make ends meet. But for every project that is truly wonderful, goes without a hitch, is another project where I'm doing a lot of those, lots of emails, lots of time tracking and things that I, I don't enjoy. Um, and the, the truth is that the work I'm doing right now for Jasper is incredibly cathartic. It is incredibly creative. I don't feel as if I am being overmanaged and the outputs that I'm generating for the business are tangible. And that's really important for me. And as long as that continues, I will continue to be very happy having a full-time career in Webflow. That's great to hear. Just wanted to just hammer that point home for anyone that's listening and is like, I don't want to be in a full-time job. It's like, it's not all sunshine and rainbows in the freelancing world with that being said is it a good time to jump into your failures i, I think that would be an, an actually an excellent segue let's <laughs> let's do it jack okay let's get into this thing so tell me about failure number one not shifting your business alongside your life changes yeah. So this was the first thing that came to mind when you asked me to come on this podcast. You know, when I started out in freelance, I was a single guy. I did have a full-time job, but I also had a ton of free time and very few responsibilities. And so for me at that time of life, I was absolutely like, I want to do a lot of work 
Let's fill up some of this time. Let's make some ends meet. And let's just do something creative. Because at the time I was also working in UX, which is not that UX isn't creative, but Webflow had really become my creative outlet. So it made sense for me to take on a lot of work. And I did. But over time, the amount of quote-unquote free time that I have has, has diminished. And that is because of changes in my life. I got married and I had two beautiful boys. And, you know, after my, my first son was born, even before then, I thought to myself, well, how much more work could it actually be? And after my first son was born, uh, that was a bit of a, you know, a kick in the pants and like, it, it can be a lot of work. But I, I was still able to take on new clients. I was still able to complete things in a similar time frame that I used to. But with those changes came a shift in priorities for me. And specifically with regards to my family, right? Now, after I work from nine to fives, from five to nine, what I want to do is spend time with my boys. What I don't want to do is close one window on a computer and open another one and, and have to keep doing that work. And I list this as a fail because it's a failure which I have done recently. Just this last month, I finished a job that I took while also having another freelance job, so two simultaneous projects. And when I say I was burning the midnight oil, man, that oil is gone. It ain't no more midnight oil in that vat, I tell you what. I really burned myself out there. And that, that was a bit of a wake-up call where, you know, before I might have been able to take on two clients and, and take on two large projects, I think I did both of them a disservice by trying to do it despite the change in my lifestyle. So that's why I listed that as my, as my number one fail, because things have changed and I need to change. Wow. Okay. A lot to dig into there. Can I ask you why you took on those two projects? Were you still in like previous Josh mode where you were like, yeah, I can do this. Come on. I've got this. What possessed you to say yes? <laughs> so it was a perfect storm. Really, the first project was for a recurrent client of mine, which I truly love working with them. They have been excellent to me, and I want to maintain that relationship. Anytime they come to me, no matter what's going on in my life, clearly, I will say yes, because working with them is a joy. And then the second project, as has been harped on through other members of this podcast coming on and talking about their work, was a friend of mine reached out to me with something that they had done for a client, a design that the developer that they had contracted just vanished into thin air and they needed some help. The reason I took that project on, and I do have criteria for what I take on from new clientele, but the reason I took that one on is because the design was super cool. It was done by a very talented friend of mine, Joe Montefusco, who now works at, at Zapier. And I, I really wanted to help bring that to life. So like I said, it was a perfect storm of wanting to say yes to things, but not having the internal dialogue established for me to say to myself, maybe we don't have time to do this. Something's got to give. If for anyone that's listening to this and is like, I've got a full-time job, but I want to keep doing a bit of freelance work. I've got a couple of hours here and there. One What's the criteria that, that you use to decide how to use that precious time? And two, how much precious time can they feasibly do a project well enough 
but but also not uh feel completely burnt out and yeah <laughs> and also have family time etc do you do you see that's kind of a two-part question which might be quite difficult no but... uh, you know i think for me what it comes down to and what it comes down to now is needs versus wants what are the things that i need and what are the things that i want so when i chose those two projects the things that i need i need to continue to work at jasper and and do a very good job the second thing I would say I needed was to maintain that relationship with a truly excellent client. Things that I want, things that I wanted out of those projects, financial income, right? Making a little bit of money. The things that I wanted to do was to help my friend and to, I wanted to create something that was beautiful. And when I was trying to make that decision, looking through rose-colored glasses, seeing that line between want and need was a little blurry. And it's clearer to me now that I need to prioritize the needs. And when it comes to wants, those are going to need to be very subjectively poured over. Because the other thing that I need to do is spend time with my family. I need to recharge. I need to not feel as if I'm being overworked, prioritizing my mental health. So going forward, I think learning, trying to learn anyway from this failure, just separating the needs from the wants and then prioritizing as we go forward. Great answer. Guy, put you on the spot there with a difficult question and you handled that like a champ. So separate needs and wants. I think one thing that you talked about there, which I really loved, was how you talked about how they were your needs and your wants. Like you're prioritizing yourself because you are the most critical asset, not just for you to continue, you know, doing the work that you do at Jasper really well, which is your main source of income and your livelihood, but also for your family. Like for you to be the best you as a dad, as a husband, as a dog walker, as a cat feeder. I guess you don't walk your cats. That might be weird. But, you know, doing all of that stuff, well, requires you to put your your needs first and and i think that's that's a really really key thing because i think sometimes we're like oh but my friend really needs help and i should really help and you use the word should and the second you use the word should you're fucked to use the french you know it's like oh god i feel like i should or whatever and that's when slippery slope i don't know if you'd agree with that if i if i said back to you fairly what you've just told me yeah, absolutely. In a past life, I absolutely prioritized the needs of others over myself. Obviously, there were some selfish gains to be had from doing things for other people. The 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 having children in particular has really made me aware of the fact that if I don't prioritize myself, I will suffer, my family will suffer, my work will suffer. And so that there's really not a choice to be had there. I have to prioritize my own mental health. And it's just something I'm trying to learn how to do uh, as I make this shift from someone who had the time and energy and resources to do that work to someone who has different priorities. Yeah, there seems to be a kind of endemic problem I've noticed in the, the Webflow community with people that I've spoken to where they try and please so much so that they bend over backwards for other people and they lose themselves a little bit and 
when they lose themselves, I mean that they, you know, they, they, they might be like, yeah, I can do that client. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, get off the call. And they just lie on the floor for half an hour and cry. And that's not helpful for, for anyone, obviously. But, you know, how I, I know that having clear kids means that you've kind of, you literally don't have the choice. You can't just say yes and people please to the same extent that you that you could. But to anyone that's listening who's like, I say yes to everything to my own detriment. What advice would you give them? Something something I would say to all those folks who who are bending over backwards to try and please these clients is that, you know, don't wait until you find your breaking point by breaking. That's something that's happened to me many times is that I bent over backwards so much so that my mental health has been affected. And something I've learned from that is that there is always time at any point in a project for you to say no, for you to bow out, for you to push back. There is no amount of money. There is no amount of creative fulfillment that you can get from a project that is worth prioritizing over your mental health. And so my advice to you would be, my advice to my past self even would be to say no more often, push back more often. And if things are going south, you do not have to continue to do that work. You can say, I'm done. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for saying that. If anyone's listening and is in a really tough spot where they've just said yes, yes, yes to all these different requests, and they're like, well, I've set the precedent now. I keep saying yes, and now I've got to keep saying yes. No, you don't. Listen to Josh here if it's tough and you're crying. You're just like, this project has broken me. You need to own that and and then make a decision about how best to confront that. Absolutely. I'm going to have to yeah, do some therapy on this one. This is a big point. So, round up there. Wants and needs. Really, really important to determine what is a need versus what is a want and put needs first. You need to need first. That's how you're going to remember that one, guys. Children are going to really, really help you determine what is a need and what is a want. But if you don't have children, and I wouldn't recommend just getting children just for this purpose, but (laughs) you're going to need to work out, you know, what is a strategy so that you can determine what a need is and what a want is. But a really good way of doing that is to look how much time you have. And if you're saying the word should... Or, you know, think saying something like, I feel like that's instantly, a, a, in my head, a, a red flag to, to determine whether you're doing it for yourself or doing it for someone else to your own detriment. Is that fair? Is there anything else that we need to add yeah. as a recap for that point? No, just don't feel as if you have to be attached with glue to anything. You can always detach yourself. And, and people tend to understand if you say, I need to prioritize my mental health over this project. No one, no, no person is going to say no. Right. Like every, every person understands. <laughs> How dare you prioritize your mental health, <laughs> you bastard. Yeah, exactly. Tell me about failure number two, briefly pivoting away from Webflow design. Yeah totally switching gears to more of a career-focused topic. So for context, last year when I was working at Mural, 
um, Mural is a visual collaboration tool for those who aren't aware. And I was doing something for them very similar to what I was doing. I'm currently doing at Jasper, which is working on maintaining and creating web pages in Webflow for the marketing website. So around March of last year, there was a reorganization where my team was previously on marketing and we were brought into the product organization. The thought being, well, the website is a tool for bringing people into our product, so they should be a part of the, the product growth organization. Don't agree with that decision. Don't put your marketing people in product. It didn't work, but it's what happened. And when they made that switch, the idea was that I would be doing 50% web flow, 50% product. You can't do 50% of two jobs, right? And so ultimately I was given this decision, well, do you want to continue to work in Webflow, or do you want to be a product designer? Which, for those of you who aren't aware, is a completely different career with different work day-to-day and a different background is required of you. At the time, I was kind of excited by the idea of doing something different. My philosophy has always been, if I can learn something new and grow in my career, that that's something that I should pursue. So I decided to try my hand at product design. And it's kind of a complicated thing to list as a failure because I really enjoyed my time working in product. And I I learned a lot. And I surrounded myself with a lot of very smart people who I, I have a ton of respect for. The reason I listed this as a fail, though, is because it was made very clear to me once I was laid off that I didn't have enough experience as a product designer outside of Mural to do that kind of work full time. And despite repositioning myself as a product designer, new resume, massive changes to the website, number of case studies focused specifically on product design, I wasn't even able to get my foot in the door. So it's, it's a really tough thing to admit that you made a wrong decision. And I don't think that it was an entirely wrong choice. But at the end of the day... The amount of time that I spent not working in Webflow and not, you know, continuing to build Webflow portfolio pieces really did set me back. And once I decided, okay, well, product, I'm not going to be able to secure something for myself in this vein. I need to re-pivot back. It was made abundantly clear to me how much of the desire there is for the kind of work we do in the Webflow community and how valuable it is to organizations. I mean, it was like I was getting zero offers, getting zero interviews, and all of a sudden everyone was like, oh, you're doing Webflow. Please come. Please. And that that was a wake-up call for me. And so TLDR, right? If you're considering making a career change, if you're freelancing and you, and you want to join an org doing design work, or if you are working for an organization doing Webflow and they offer you this, this opportunity to to maybe do something different. What I would say to my past self is take a beat and really think about how this is going to affect your one, five, and 10-year plan. Because if you get laid off after a year, you're really going to struggle to continue that five or 10-year plan. And, and, and so I, 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 do, I do regret the, the shift. I don't regret the work or the learnings. But I do list it as a fail because it's at me back. Interesting. Okay. 
Wait, backtrack. So you said at the start of this fail that you choose career decisions depending on how much you can learn and grow as someone in the design space. Did the product stuff that you learned during that year not lend itself to anything that you're doing now? When you say it set you back, how did not doing Webflow for a year and doing product for a year kind of set you back in that sense? Yeah, so, you know... I liken it to learning how to ride a bike. You know, you don't just start going 60 miles an hour or however fast a bike goes. Probably not 60 miles an hour. How fast are you pedaling? (laughs) That's a very fast bicycle. But, you know, to say like, okay, I was already an adult person riding an adult bike going very fast as a workflow designer. I stopped doing that to pick up this new skill. And yeah, I learned a lot. I learned a ton, but I was basically starting from infancy in this to this job. And so not only was I not qualified probably to do the job, which was should have been a very red flag for me towards the beginning. I thought, oh, how hard could it be? Product design. That's basically UX design. False. But the learn the the things that I learned and the growth that I achieved in that role is is like taking first steps as opposed to you know the 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 more mature senior type of learnings that I was kind of hoping for and so while I did learn a lot about how product design works and how those organizations are structured and how things go from zero to 60 that learning is only like partially relevant to the work that I do day-to-day for companies like Neural or like Jasper in the capacity of a webflow designer. So that's sort of the, the, the differentiation there for me, Jack. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that's really helpful. I just wondered if, um, you know, the product design stuff, obviously, you know, Jasper, I, I, I imagine it has quite a big product team that you're you're involved with. Uh, and I just wondered, you know, maybe there was there's more overlap than it sounds like there actually is in reality, but it sounds like your day-to-day actually isn't very involved with the product side of Jasper at all. We, we interface, and it's the same way it was at Mural as well. I mean, there's certainly things that you need to interface with people on product. If you work in a large organization like Mural yeah, or like Jasper, yeah. you need maybe the latest screens before they are built, or you need to know what's coming down the roadmap in order to plan for those product launches. But I think that there is a reason why those two fields are more divorced than people might think that they should be. And that's because they're two very different jobs and they require a hundred percent of work. You can't, you can't do both simultaneously. And so, you know, I, I did learn a lot about product, but the setback with regards to my career, that's a year of not being a professional webflow designer. With regards to my career and that time sink into committing to product design, I do regret. Hmm. Interesting. And then you, when you said, then you said, I became a Webflower again, pivoted back to Webflow. And then you were offered jobs left, right and center. For anyone that's like, Josh, where the hell are these job offers coming in from? How did you pivot back did you publicly say on twitter or you know email your network and say hey i'm really focusing on webflow what does 
pivoting back so that people actually offer you jobs look like? Perhaps I wasn't clear when I said this initially. I've been getting Webflow job offers the whole time. They were they were still coming in, and I was still talking to people about them, but the focus from my end was on product. Initially, if someone reached out to me with regards to a job doing Webflow design, I was telling them, thank you for this interest. I'm shifting my focus. And who knows where I might have ended up had I not changed or pivoted or if I had decided when I was let go to continue to pursue Webflow work. I, you know, there were a ton of different organizations that, that did reach out to me and that I, I, I declined. And so it wasn't a purposeful switch. There was a breaking point after having 10, 15, 20, however many interviews for product design and then not, those not manifesting where I made that decision to say, okay, I just wondered if there was a kind of, you were like, right, I'm going to, you know, read in my portfolio and post on LinkedIn and da da da. But actually it was, it was kind of like that was, you were already getting inbound requests previously. And so for anyone to, who's listening to this, that's like, okay, Josh, cool. You're getting loads of inbound requests. Is that just because of, you know, the, the reputation that you've built up over years and years and you've worked with so many different people now you're getting referrals or uh, do you have any advice about getting clients uh, for people that are maybe a little bit earlier in their career absolutely yeah so i think the reason i was getting all of those referrals and most of them were referrals some were people who had just found me from seo or on the webflow experts channel but to those of you who are just starting out or to those of you who are looking for a career in Webflow, um, I would say represent yourself on as many channels as possible. You know, I am very vocal on Twitter or X, if you will, in the Webflow community there on the Facebook group. I have a Webflow experts profile. I have my portfolio. I, I think actually the place where I get the most recognition from is the Webflow showcase, which a lot of people don't think about as a, as a source of potential clients or income. But I made a couple clonables at the start of my career that have just shot up in clones over time. And so people, people will see those and say, oh, this is cool. This guy knows what he's doing. Reach out to me for work. And I put my portfolio link on there and stuff uh, so that it's easier for people to reach out to me. So just get your work out there do a little extracurricular activity. The Webflow Showcase is not something to sleep on, even though it's, you know, it's a little bit buried these days now with all the made in Webflow stuff that they're doing. And uh, yeah, that would be my, my advice. And the, you know, if you build it, they will come. Awesome. Awesome advice there. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, over years you have got the know-how to get clients, but just being in the space and being active and, and I kind of hate the phrase like showing up, but I think that there's something to be said for just being consistently providing value in digital spaces, but also just with clients that you work with individually and, and referrals will come. And I love this advice about the showcase as well. I haven't heard that. I don't think anyone on the Webflow podcast has said that yet. So that's really, really interesting feedback. Webflow Experts program, a lot of people have talked about how powerful that is. So getting into that program does sound like a really powerful lead generation stream. 
tell me about failure number three, not learning from past mistakes. Yeah, Jack, we just talked about, you know, in the first veil about taking on too many projects and working on a project that was for a friend, working probably on something that I didn't need to do, but something that I wanted to do. And the, the truth is that none of those, that was not my first time doing that, right? I have absolutely done work for friends before and regret it. I have absolutely prioritized things that I wanted to do, things that seemed kind of cool and flashy, or maybe something where it was a role that I had not taken on before that turned out to be a lot more than I could chew, or taking on more projects than I had the capacity for. These are all fails in their own right, but the biggest fail in my mind is continuing to do that and not learning from my mistakes. And it's something that I've recognized kind of recently is like, oh, this happened again. <laughs> and and I really need to take a step back just into my own space and, and, and think through why those things are happening over and over again. I think my scenario, my situation with regards to freelancing is kind of unique. Most people that do freelance, that's their full-time thing. Whereas as a part-time, if you will, side hustle freelancer, the prioritization of maybe being a little bit more casual and being a little bit less intentional with things that I do in my freelancing has continuously come to bite me in the ass. And I just, I have not done a great job of changing my processes. And that is a huge fail. And this most recent project that I mentioned, for example, working for a friend, it was kind of like, not pro bono, they paid me some money, but I took a hit for the time. And it went on a lot longer than I expected because I didn't put out like the perfect contract. Like I just kind of signed whatever, being casual has constantly come back to bite me. And I don't know why, but I do continue to make the same mistakes. And I need to bake that time in to think through the way that I do things and and dedicate time to actually fixing them. Maybe having a dedicated template to send a client to sign to say, okay, this is exactly how things are going to go with me and my responsibilities time frame. I need to take more time to read through contracts. I need to not undercharge. <laughs> but really, at the end of the day, I just need to be more conscious about the decisions that I'm making with regards to my freelancing because I've made a lot of mistakes before and I should have learned from them by now. So it sounds like when you say the word, you, you repeated the word casual there a few times. I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is that you you enjoy the creative stuff a lot more than you enjoy the admin stuff. And the admin stuff is kind of like, yeah, yeah, sure. Like, let's get on with the creative because that's the fun bit. Whereas the admin stuff, yeah. it's it's kind of, it's like, it's really hard to be creative if there's no guidelines. Like, if there's no space to be creative in, then it's kind of like, ooh, like maybe we'll go in this direction. Maybe we'll go in this direction. It sounds like you kind of need a contract or maybe systems and processes more in order to do the creative well efficiently enjoyably for both you and the client so that everyone absolutely is happy is that fair yes 
it, in, in this specific instance, right, if I had not casually, but formally taken the time to read through the contracts that the client had sent to me, which I have casually just signed stuff in the past and it's come to bite me. If I had done that, I would have noticed, okay, well, there's no defined scope of work in this contract, or there's no end date in this contract, or, you know, there was a talk of hourly rate via email, but the contract doesn't mention it for things that go over the predefined agreement. And so I just wanted to get into the work, man. And as time has, as it happened time and time again, it has come to bite me. That project went on for two and a half months extra than it should. And I consider that a fail. So this begs the question, you know, you're working in a full-time job. You're burning the midnight oil. You've got a family. You've got three cats. You've got one dog. You've got two kids. You've got a wife. There's a lot going on in your life. And if you've got a great role at Jasper, that's paying for stuff. Why do you still decide to do the freelance work? Well, Jack, it's because I'm a glutton for punishment. Uh, and it's just because <laughs> I love to feel pain. And no, there's something about working in Webflow. It's enticing. It's challenging. You know, some people, when they need to blow off steam, they'll go for a walk or they'll go lead or write or whatever sometimes at night after the kids are down for bed to calm down i'll just like go into the jasper webflow account and just like clean up some extra classes that are like div one five seven nine it's cathartic to me there within lies the problem i i maybe enjoy webflow too much and i need to get some other hobbies <laughs> maybe some other way for me to blow off steam or some other some other out Right. And I think I don't remember who said it on your podcast, but when you do something that you love and you charge money for it, that becomes your job. And that's not necessarily something that I have clearly defined. Like, this is my job and then this is my non-job stuff. And it, it, it's not good. It's not healthy. Yeah. It's interesting, though, you know, when you when you monetize your hobbies, how how much you enjoy your hobbies. Like if it, if you know you're like you enjoy the creative, right? That's very very obvious to me. And and so when someone is like, "I'll pay you to do creative stuff for me," you're like, "Yes," but then it's not always as fun as the creative sounds because there's egos and there's all sorts of things that come out, come out of nowhere and stuff. When you do client work, I find so yeah, I I feel you, I hear you. I get it. It's hard to differentiate work and play when you genuinely enjoy your work and then, but it can come to bite you. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I can't help feeling though that, yeah, finding a hobby that is, you know, I've just started playing the trumpet and I'm terrible at it, but it's a really good thing where I literally don't touch a keyboard apart from, I mean, I hit play on a youtube tutorial but no one's going to pay me to play the trumpet so there's no risk of that but kind of separating the monetizing the hobby thing is quite healthy i don't know jack i think if you were to uh, redo the web flail intro on the trumpet it might be massive hey we got yeah move aside beyonce i didn't i didn't go that far okay well i did i'm gonna be bigger than b no i'm i'm terrible at the trumpet but yeah I do, I do, I really resonate with this idea of like, how do you separate your 
hobbies, what you earn, you know, this client stuff that sounds fun and then it's not fun. And I get it. It's uh, an ongoing battle. Josh, are you ready for the final question? The hardest question. I'm born ready, Jack. Hit me. Okay. What is your next failure going to be? Yeah, my next failure. You know, it's tricky when the fails that I have mentioned already have been so all-encompassing. I know that I'm going to continue to make the same mistake. I know that I'm going to struggle to prioritize my wants and my needs. And I, I think that the, the next fail that I, I'm going to do, Jack, is is that I'm going to continue to change and not necessarily accommodate for those changes appropriately. And I realize that's kind of an all-encompassing thing that we've talked about today, but, you know, I'm excited. I'm excited to change. I'm excited to, to buck up, right, and take on things that I don't know how to do and to hopefully learn from those things because at the end of the day, like, all of these fails with the learning experiences for me. And so I realize it's kind of generic, kind of a generic response, but my next fail is going to be continuing to fall off the horse. But then maybe hopefully get back up again. Thanks so much to you guys for listening to this episode and thanks so much for Josh for coming on and sharing so vulnerably in this episode. I think the bit of the episode that stood out the most to me was when Josh was talking about being a freelancer versus working for a business in full-time employment. I think there's this general perception that as a freelancer, you can work wherever you want and you can live the dream. I don't know why I had to do an American accent there. Sorry for any Americans that listen to this. But he is at a stage in his life where he needs stability and he wants to grow in a team you know he wants to have a position where he can actually you know have flexibility have stability and also work with you know like-minded talented individuals and i think that's really really important to say that freelancing doesn't suit everyone and it's not like i think there's this this tendency for people to be like freelancer is the way forward and it's not necessarily for everyone and it's okay that it's not so i think that's just important to highlight off the back of this episode there are so many different highlights that i could have mentioned though but that's the one i've chosen next week we will be having the infamous glenn mcwinnie of no code kids on the podcast for episode 57 very very excited to share that one with you guys but until then have a great week, Web Flavors.